You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at a portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that talks about the dangers of being unequally yoked. And we're going to explain what that means and talk about that in just a minute. But before we do, I just wanted to mention a couple quick things before we look at that portion of Scripture. I want to first of all thank those of you that have taken the time to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Each week it seems like there are at least one or two more of you that have been doing that. Sometimes it's been even more than that in a single week, and we're extremely grateful for that. And if you haven't had the chance or the opportunity to do so yet, we would be very grateful if the next time you're on iTunes, or even if you use the the podcast app on an iPhone, uh, if you could just leave a rating or a review for this podcast on iTunes. It really goes a long way because it helps us to connect with new people as iTunes starts sharing details about this podcast more and more in their feed. They really try and give a push to podcasts that get sufficient ratings and reviews. So it's a huge help to us if you enjoy this podcast. If you would just take a moment, and literally it, it only takes just a moment, maybe a minute of your time, if not, if not less, uh, to leave a rating or a review. But if you could help us that way, we'd be very grateful. And another way that you could give us a little help, if you're uh, a regular listener of this podcast or even the Chapter a Day Audio Bible podcast, those are our sister podcasts, if you want to be a supporter of that, and chip in just a dollar to help us cover the cost of our hosting and production, we would be extremely grateful for that. And you could do that on our website, which is pastor.us. And we have a whole ton of other things there, a lot of books and resources for you to check out if those might be of interest to you. And so we want to direct you to that if you get the chance to to visit us on our website, pastor.us. Now, without further ado, I want to take us into the scripture that we're looking at today. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 14, and we'll be looking down to verse 18, and it's not an extremely long portion of Scripture, but there's some very poignant truths that we would do well to apply to our lives. But before we uh, read that, I was thinking this week about a story that a friend of mine told me uh, actually quite a while ago. He was telling me about either a neighbor or uh, some older person that he was acquainted with that said something that puzzled him. And he said the man was yelling at a group of people for invitating the siren. That's what he said, invitating the siren. And he said that he looked at the man and he wondered what on earth he was talking about. Because the man kept complaining about the fact that people were invitating the siren. And the the closest thing that he could figure out to what the man was actually trying to communicate was that he was upset that maybe people were being too noisy in the neighborhood or too loud and that they were upsetting the serenity or the the serene nature of the neighborhood. He wasn't sure because he didn't feel like he lived in a very serene neighborhood. But the man kept yelling invita- that the that people were invitating the siren. And uh, every time he would tell me that story, it it would make me chuckle. And we would try and figure out what on earth the man was talking about. And as I mentioned, the subject of what we're looking at here today it may have a phrase that maybe at least at first glance you're probably looking at and thinking, what on earth does that mean? 
you know what what on earth is this talking about because we're talking today about the idea of the of the danger of being unequally yoked but what on earth is that all about what does it mean to be unequally yoked well in just a moment we're going to take a look and see what the scripture actually says about that so if you have a bible handy uh open it up with me to second corinthians chapter 6 and as i mentioned a moment ago we'll be looking at verse 14 down to verse 18 And this is what we read in the passage. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it today. And Lord, as we do so, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would make this portion of your word clear to our hearts and clear to our minds. And as we seek to understand these things and live them out, we pray, Lord, that we would do so joyfully, knowing that we're seeking to give you honor and glory, and that the wisdom that you reveal to us in your word profits us. It's a benefit to us. It's a blessing to us. So, Lord, teach us now, we pray, and help us to put into practice the things that we learn. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, and as I've been sharing these messages, I've also been speaking from this book at my church, Core Creek Community Church in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And we've been looking at some of the background of what Paul was talking about in these passages and in this book as a whole. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul was trying to help the Corinthians to do was to grow in their faith in Christ. He was trying to help them to mature as believers in Christ. And there were a lot of things that were dragging them in all sorts of directions in the midst of their culture. They lived in a rather decadent culture. They were surrounded by all sorts of temptations and all sorts of things that could easily pull them away from a strict and honest devotion to the things that truly matter to the Lord. And they were dealing with a lot of distractions, and they were dealing with a lot of diversions. And so the Apostle Paul was trying to help them to understand what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ in all areas of life. And one of the things that he cautions them about in this particular portion of Scripture, as the Holy Spirit gives them the words to say, is the danger of being unequally yoked. And he lists several things here, several principles that we would do well to be aware of as we kind of look at this idea or think about what he's talking about in this portion of Scripture. And one of the things that he illustrates when we look at this concept is that if we become unequally yoked, and we'll define what that means in just a moment, he says that that's essentially going to result in us adopting a different mission 
and worldview, or it certainly could. This is what he says again in verses 14 and 15. Let me reread it. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? So that's what he says in the opening verses of the portion of 2 Corinthians 6 that we're looking at today. And as we look at this, and we try and define this idea of what it means to be unequally yoked, it reminds me of a time when I was jogging with a friend of mine uh, while we were in college. I remember it was a quiet evening, and the only thing you could really hear was the sound of our shoes hitting the pavement. So you just hear them slap and, and kind of, you know, just, just the pace of our feet hitting the ground. And, and we weren't talking a whole lot, but I guess we were talking some. And um, I, I'm not as tall as I wish I was, and my friend was certainly uh, much taller than me. And he noticed that his stride allowed him to jog while taking less steps than I needed to cover the same amount of ground. And I wonder how much progress we would have made if my right leg was tied to his left leg. Our heights are quite different, uh, so that would kind of set us up like the, if you've ever done like the three-legged race, uh, maybe as a child or something like that at a picnic or at a birthday party when you were a kid. Uh, if I tied my right leg to his left leg and we tried to jog, I wonder what that would have been like. And uh, my guess is that it wouldn't work very well at all because our heights were uneven. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let me give you a, a, another piece of information. This portion of Scripture talks about this idea of being unequally yoked. So what's a yoke? What's it talking about? A yoke is a wooden bar that's placed on the back of two animals, and it's used to connect them for the purpose of something like plowing a field. And what you do is you take two of the same animal of similar size and you tie them together to pull a plow. And what it does is it accomplishes much more than two individual animals could. It creates like a synergy of their energy, of their strength. But if you took something like an ox and if you took a mule and you tried yoking them together, their strides would be very different. Their heights are very different. Their pulling capacity wouldn't match. And what you'd probably end up doing in that kind of context, if you tied them together, is you would probably tip the plow. Or maybe you would even kind of just move in circles and not be able to plow in a straight line. In fact, when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, the people of Israel were given some instruction related to this. And this is what it says in that passage. They were told, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. So that's something that was spoken of in regard to farming practices in the Old Covenant, but it actually illustrates a deeper truth. And that's a concept Paul is cautioning Christians to be aware of in this passage. He challenges the Corinthian church uh, which, by the way, was a church that was known for having a hard time separating from the sinful lifestyles and the sinful practices of their culture, he was challenging them to stop yoking with or binding themselves to people and practices that were ungodly. Well, what kind of binding partnerships do you suppose Paul had in mind? What was he warning them about? Well, 
one of the most obvious applications here is marriage. This scripture, along with other scriptures, makes it clear that a believer in Christ should not marry an unbeliever. This, by the way, is a question that I ask couples who ask me to officiate for their wedding. If both bride and groom profess faith in Christ, I may be willing to officiate for their wedding. If only one person believes in Christ, I politely decline. I have seen in my extended family and through my years of pastoral counseling the problems that will arise when people who aren't on the same page spiritually are united in marriage. But I will say, if, however, you already are married to someone who doesn't share your faith, Scripture also invites us to remain faithful to that covenant and to pray for our spouses that they would come to know Jesus. But Paul here is talking about this idea of being unequally yoked, and he cautions us against it. And this principle of being unequally yoked also applies to other kinds of binding partnerships that could influence a believer to minimize or compromise their Christian convictions in favor of a worldly outcome. We could actually list quite a few if we tried. But what ends up happening in these contexts is you have two different people with two different worldviews attempting to accomplish two different missions. It doesn't work. And in many cases, professing believers in Christ have spent the bulk of their years making one ungodly compromise after another in how finances are handled, in how children are raised, uh, whether to do something as simple as pray together before meals or maybe how time should be spent, uh, whether or not to carve out time for worship and service together. It's very easy to see how failing to heed these words of caution can have a huge impact on a person's life. Christ's mission for his people is clear. He doesn't want us adopting a different mission or developing an ungodly worldview. Now, there's another danger that we could easily experience if we don't heed the caution of this passage, and that's the idea of forgetting who we belong to. Look again at what Paul says in verse 16. He says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So with some regularity, and I have to say I wish we did this more regularly than we do, but our family likes to visit Central Florida for at least a week during the heart of winter. We live here in Pennsylvania, and it can be rather cold during certain portions of the winter, although I have to say this winter has been mostly mild so far, and I guess I'm grateful for that. But we tend to like to visit Central Florida for at least a week, during the heart of winter, and some years when we've made that trip, we have spent a day at Disney's Magic Kingdom. Uh, and during our most recent visit there, we experienced a very scary moment. We were in a section of the park that had rides that were designed primarily for very small children, and a little girl became separated from her father, and he panicked, and he started screaming her name and running around with his hands in the air, and we all wanted to help him, but we didn't know what his daughter looked like. And he was too frantic to stop and give us all a description or to show us a picture of her. And I remember my heart sinking while this was taking place. But thankfully, she was found, and she was returned to him. 
And I'm sure that that dad would say that those were some of the longest minutes of his life. I don't know what kind of image comes to your mind first when you think about God. I imagine that some people probably think of him in harsh terms. Some people probably think he's primarily angry and eager to judge or condemn. But what great desire does God repeat over and over and over again in Scripture? He expresses his desire to show fatherly love to his children who have a tendency to wander off. He desires to live with and walk among them like he originally did with Adam in the Garden of Eden, to take people who have been living apart from him and draw them close to him, to give them his name, to call them his family. That's the heart of God. That's the desire of God as it's revealed in Scripture. And that was God's desire for the people of Israel. And you have Paul in this passage quoting from the book of Leviticus to show this. In fact, in Leviticus 26, 11, and 12, God says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Now, it was likewise God's desire for the Corinthians, and is his desire for us as well. He is not a distant, uninvolved, uncaring God. He delights to bring us right into his presence, and in fact, he didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. Jesus Christ, God the Son, took on flesh and walked among us. It says in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And not only has God come to us, but he also chooses to live within us. The moment anyone places their trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit immediately indwells them. God himself takes up residence within us, just as he illustrated by his presence in the temple during Old Testament times. And now he tells us that we are his temple, and he lives within his people. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it this way, Do you not know? that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. So if God has chosen both to live among us and within us, having given us his own name and brought us into his family through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, who then do we belong to? We belong to him. We don't belong to this world anymore. We don't belong to the sinful prisons he purchased our freedom from. So why then should we choose to tie our lives to the things of this world that drag us backward and drag us down? The temptations of this world lie to our hearts. They promise us things that we already have in Christ, but because we forget that we have love, forgiveness, family, acceptance, belonging, life, and joy in Christ, sometimes we can end up listening to the lies instead of believing the truth. Well, Paul didn't want the Corinthian church to forget who they belong to. They belong to Christ, and so do we. Let's be mindful of that joyful truth so our hearts won't fall prey to lies. Paul references another danger here that can come our way if we choose to be unequally yoked to the unhealthy or unholy things of this world, and that's we can begin embracing what we're called to avoid. 
Look at what it says in verses 17 and 18. We're told, Therefore go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So the last danger that Paul illustrates in this passage that can come from binding our lives to the mindset, practices, and worldview that contradicts God's will as it's revealed in Scripture is that we'll begin embracing the very things God calls us to avoid. Well, what effect does Christ's salvation have on us? Are we the same as we were before he rescued us? What does Scripture tell us has happened as a result? We're told that we are a new creation, forgiven of our sin, and that we are righteous, holy, and blameless in his sight. That's who we are in Christ, and that's how God sees us. In fact, we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's how he sees us. And if by his grace we can start seeing ourselves that same way, it will make a huge difference in our lives, and it will motivate us not to embrace the very things that Christ has cleansed us from. So to reinforce this thought, Paul quotes in this passage from Isaiah chapter 52, which, again, initially would have been speaking to the fact that God's people were being freed from bondage in Babylon and encouraged to return to their homeland without bringing the idolatry or pagan practices that they learned and observed there with them. But Paul uses that reference to illustrate the heart of God, namely that his people in every generation would be careful to embrace or to be hugged by his fatherly love and fatherly presence while not hugging or embracing the temptations or idols or traps of this world. Now, I have to say, overall, I don't consider myself a physically affectionate person. I'm not totally adverse to it, but I'm not lavish in it either. And uh, my youngest child, my, my daughter, Julia, thinks that that's ridiculous and has spent her young life invading my personal space. And I joke and tell her that she has actually been the person who has taught me how to hug. And I recently read some thoughts on hugging shared by Dr. Virginie Satir. And this is what she said. She said, hugging can be vital for your emotional well-being. Everybody feels skin hunger throughout their lives. And unless that hunger is satisfied by touching... There's a vital void in the emotional makeup that's going to cause deep unhappiness. We all know that babies thrive on frequent stroking. Well, adults are no different. When they are not patted on the hand or embraced around the shoulder or hugged, they withdraw into themselves. And then she goes on to say, she says, I prescribe four hugs a day for survival, eight for maintenance, and 12 for growth. (laughs) Well, You know, when we think about this idea of hugging or when we think about this idea of embracing, what is God calling us to embrace? Who has he challenged us to bind ourselves to and to partner with? And what's he calling us to avoid? As followers of Christ, 
We're encouraged to remember who we truly are and what the essence of our mission in this world happens to be. And there will be times when you and I will be tempted to align ourselves with ideas or temptations and maybe even people who may not have our best interests at heart. But our greatest allegiance is to Christ, and the affections of our hearts and the outpouring of our lives are called to progress in a Christ-centered direction. We're called to embrace him above all else. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we're reminded of some cautionary things and also some very edifying words of encouragement that reveal much to us about your love and your nature. But Lord, you tell us not to align with things or not to bind ourselves to the things of this world that pull us in a direction that is not toward you, but rather we're called to embrace you and to love you and to have full, complete devotion and allegiance to you, because that's your desire, that's your will for our lives. Lord, we're grateful that you interjected yourself into our lives, that you chose to come to this earth, Jesus Christ, take on flesh and approach us. You came to us. We weren't seeking you. You sought us. It's your desire to embrace us as your children. But Lord, by nature, we try and run from you. And even after we come to know you, Lord, there are things in this world that sometimes our hearts have such a deep affection for that we need you to just yank us away from those things, that we need you to illuminate our minds and our eyes and our hearts so that we can see things from your perspective. So, Lord, whatever we've been binding our lives up with that is not of you, that does not glorify you, that drags us in an unhealthy direction, we pray that that yoke would be untangled or untied so that we could walk in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, impress upon our minds and our hearts what we need to understand from the truth in this portion of Scripture so that with your strength and with full devotion, we can live out the encouragement that we're being given here. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your presence with us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. We're grateful to be able to bring the teaching of God's Word to you each and every Monday. That's when these episodes become available. If you're not familiar with our other podcast, we also have a daily podcast, which is called the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, and you can find more information about that podcast at our website, pastor.us. If you'd like to drop us an email, you could do that from our website, pastor.us. We'd love hearing from you, and if there's something we could be praying about for you during the course of this week, please let us know. We'll certainly be praying for you. Next time you're on iTunes, if you want to drop us a rating or a review, we'd be greatly appreciative of that as well, and we look forward to reading those. Uh, those are very encouraging to us and super helpful to us as we seek to bring this podcast to as many people as possible. So thanks again for listening today. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again next week. Thanks again.
Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.